morning. Uh, this morning's scripture reading is from Acts uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, and you can vol- follow along on page 6 of your bulletins. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. I want to say good morning to you. My name is Yancey. I'm one of the pastors here. I was just trying to make sure I get my timer up because uh, I don't want this to be too long. But I do want to spend some time with you looking at God's word and praising his name this morning. With that, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have opened up heaven and you have come down to us. You've given us your spirit, God. Those that have been known by you, those you've called by name. And you are moving in our midst. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for being here. And we do ask that you will attend to our spirits, that we may grow into more Christ-likeness this morning. It's in your great name we do pray. Amen. 
Friends, God is on the move, isn't he? He's on the move in a cross-cultural situation and ways in our midst. As we've heard this morning, several testimonies of those who have lived afar but have come here to this place, come near to this place. Uh, thinking about Chris's testimony, hearing familiar sounds of what he grew up with, and then coming here uh, to, to hear that and, and to think back to God's good grace in his life and what he remember about the word of God being instilled into his soul from an early age. Some of you may remember your own heritage, your traditions, your background, and things that you have experienced, little touches and glimpses of God along the way in your life, and how God, through a parent, through a cousin, or through an uncle, has planted the spirit, the word, within your heart in many different ways. And that word has grown up into you. Because God has been faithful to do that. I think about my own story, coming from a small town in Georgia, very humble beginnings. And then thinking about how God took me away from that place that I loved, a place flowing with milk and honey, if you will. <laughs> and, and peaches, Georgia peaches, that's right. Took me across the state into a place where I had the opportunity to encounter folks from different culture because I came from just one culture, subculture, and I didn't cross many cultures growing up. But I moved to a place where it gave me an opportunity to learn about other people, and God opened up to me the world and where he was in places throughout Africa, Europe, and you name it, South America. And it's good to remember that because it's good to remember that God is on the move. God is not still. He's present. He's active throughout the world. And God has not hushed his mouth in your life, but he has come to you so that you can remember how he has moved cross-culturally in your life. And you know, the thing about moving cross-culturally is that sometimes there's conflict. There's tension between one tribe and another. There's tension between one family, people groups, and another. You may have experienced this yourself, like I have. You know, when, when I was in my early 20s, I was involved with a student ministry that was predominantly white. And I was there, moving cross-culturally. Why? Because the word of God was there. That's why I was there. That's why God implanted me into that place. And it was hard to stay in that place because there was some subtle racism, some subtle hatred there. That, you know, the other students, I could tell that they, they were only repeating what they heard. They didn't know any better because I didn't either. We're all young whippersnappers, if you will. But, you know, there's something about growing older that teaches you that sometimes the things that you grew up with, the subtleness of, of, the, of the traditions and the culture that you have they're still there, and they're scary. And they come up in, in times when you least suspect it, and you remember, like, oh, my goodness. I vowed not to be like my father, but I am just like the man. I vowed not to, not to be, be like my cousins who were very liberal and licentious, and I'm just like them. You see, it's good to be reminded of these things because we have to be reminded of how badly we need God and how we need his grace in our lives to move us cross-culturally into the world in ways that he is moving into the world. And so as we come to the text 
and, and even the, the whole of Acts, if you will, you know, we find out that the spirit is blooming. He's growing. He's being poured out and people are growing. Their eyes are being opened. Not just the people of God that had the covenants, but also the people of God that had yet to be saved. You know, Jesus did tell us there in John 10 that he had other sheep that are not a part of the fold. He must bring them in also. And so we, we come to Acts and we find out that God is all about bringing in the nations. They're called the Gentiles in our text, the ethne, if you will. God is all about bringing in people, moving them cross-culturally into communities together under one roof, and that's his kingdom, and that's through his gospel. And so Paul and and Barnabas, you know, in in the text before this one, they were moving all about north of Syria in, into modern-day Turkey, you know, moving throughout. They went to, to uh, Cyprus there and then moved, moved up uh, to uh, Antioch, of, Syria, of uh, uh, forgetting the other Antioch. There are two of them. Uh, but moving throughout that land to Lystra, to, to Derby, and even in those places, Paul, he was met with opposition. And the opposition wasn't what you were thinking, what you're thinking now. It was opposition from his own people, as he came to tell them about what Jesus had said. And, you know, there were some believers that were Jewish, you know, synagogues were all over the place. But Paul would come and, 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 uh, and talk with them first because he wanted to explain that Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one that God was sending for the nations, that they would believe in him, that they didn't have to believe that they had to Live by the law no longer in, in order to get to God. But now this new way, a, a brighter way, a more fuller way in their understanding had come. And so Paul and Barnabas, was, they were moving throughout, teaching people about Jesus Christ. And they saw signs and wonders and all these things that God was doing. And so they come back to, to Antioch in Syria. And, and they're there. And they have just given witness to how God was on the move. But they come into Antioch and they find out that certain people were coming down from Judea to Antioch. And they were teaching the believers a different message that they had went out with. They're teaching the believers there, unless you're circumcised, according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And then verse 5 here in our text they're teaching that the Gentiles must be circumcised. They are required to keep the law of Moses. That's what they're teaching. And so they're faced with automatically, hey, what's your, what's your gospel party of affiliation? You know, because, you know, these people who came and teaching the, that were teaching the believers, they were part of the conservative group. They had conservative views, if you will. And, you know, as I've been thinking about this, I'm like, they, they had, like, every right to think in this conservative manner. They were the people of the covenant of the Old Testament. God did make them a people, a nation, through Abraham. And so when you begin to think about Genesis 17 and how God did come to Abram when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. And says, hey, I'm the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. 
And then God said, I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. The thing that we notice here as well that they would have known is that God is promising that Abraham will be the father of many nations. And God even changed his name from the exalted father to the father of many nations. And furthermore, God gave Abraham this promise that he would be the father of many nations and that kings would come to, through him. And God established his everlasting covenant with Abraham and with his descendants after him from generation to come. God even promised that, hey, the land that you're walking through, Abraham, this land of Canaan, it will be yours as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants. And God promised to be their God. And so we see here this mark of the covenant, this sign of the covenant. And God said, hey, every male among you must be circumcised. Every male must be circumcised. Not only those of your same bloodline, but those that you own, those that are foreigners, they must be circumcised as well. Cutting off the foreskin. So they must be circumcised. So they had good reasons. The teachers that came from Judea had good reason to believe that, wait a minute, this is what God promised in his, in his word. We have it. Moses taught on it. They had good reasons to believe that now we need to go and teach the Gentiles that were becoming believers in faith in Jesus that, hey, look, it's not only through Jesus, it's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus keeping the ceremonial laws, keeping yourself nice and tidy and upright and neat and conservative. That's what we need to teach them. They had heard of Jesus, but they were saying, no, something else must be put into place as well. We can't let go of our tradition and what God had done. We have to bring that in as well. So they had good reasons. But see, that's a problem with this, though, right? The problem is God had promised the Messiah that it will be through him. It will be through Abraham's offspring, meaning Jesus alone that someone would come to faith in him. Because Jesus had fulfilled the promises. Jesus had fulfilled the law and the prophets. He fulfilled all those things. The legal requirements of having a relationship with God was nailed on the cross through Jesus Christ. And so they needed to be reminded of that, that it was done, that God had done it through Jesus. But you see, in this text, we also see that those who are of the Gentile camp, those are of the nations, they had more or less, coming from the conservative viewpoint, a more of a, a liberal viewpoint of life. And so we see this in verse 20, where James encouraged in the, 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 the assembly to write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled animals, and from blood. Just don't go and live like you want to live, pouring yourself into these temples, thinking that by these things, you know, giving yourself to these type of temple orgies, if you will, that you will somehow attain to God. No, these, you see, the conservative views and the liberal views, they're one and the same. 
Both have a law within themselves. Both are trying to reach and attain something that only God can give. They cannot do it. And so the Gentiles were encouraged to stay away from these things. That these things are not for you. These things trap you up. This idol worship replaces God in your life. Move away from the idols and embrace fully only Christ. It's he, he is all that you need. And so we see these two views, they're always in conflict with each other. Whether you have nation warring against nation, there are always those who are more conservative that think, I have the right way. You need to follow my way. Over against those that seem to be more loose over here with their thoughts and agenda. But you see, the reality is that there, there's only one way. And, and that is the way of God. There's only one party affiliation, and that is the holy affiliation. Which team do you want to be on at the end of the day? The two that leads to death still, or the one that leads to life? And the one that leads to life is what, what God calls us to be on, the team he calls us to be on. And you know, it's hard, right, when you're out on the basketball court and you know the team you want to be on, the, the all-star team, the, the, the Lakers, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Lakers. And uh, it's like, but, you know, they, you may not be able to be on that team. You, you may not be good enough. But what if? What if you had your choice of the team that you wanted to be on? All of us want to fit in somewhere, don't we? All of us want some kind of glory in this life, don't we? All of us feel the temptation to gravitate towards being on an all-star team. You know, no matter if, you, if you're a mom, you, you want to be with the all-star moms, right? Your friend group, you want to make sure that you're the coolest group. We all have party affiliations, but we have to watch out, right? Watch out for those party affiliations because we don't want those party affiliations to lead us down a path where we are engrossing in idol worship of our hearts. But we want them to lead us into places where God is at, where we are living unto him. And we know this is, this is messy, right? This is messy. With, even within the church, we feel like we have certain teams that we're on in a cross-culture community like, like our own. You know, we, we feel like we don't fit in in some places. You know, within our society, there still is discrimination and hate, marginalization. There, there still are traditions. There still are heavy loads that we put on people. And that's what the Pharisee group did in Jesus' day. Putting heavy loads upon people, requiring them to obey the law. You know, God is saying, no, that is not the way. Traditionalism is not the way. Your culture, though it, there's good things within it, is not the way. It's the holy culture that is needed. It's the gospel affiliation that is needed. And Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 2. He, he's saying, look, either way, you, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew, a man belongs to God if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. And so this leads us right into 
living in light of the gospel priority that Peter is calling us into. You see, in, in verse 6, you know, the apostles, they, they came down, uh, the, Barnabas and, and Paul came down to Jerusalem and to consider this question, hey, how, how must one be saved? What are you guys teaching here? This is what we've been teaching. So the apostle and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. And Peter told them plainly, God chooses. God chooses. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God chooses. Peter saw this. God shook him of his own self-righteousness declaring that certain things are clean. Back in Acts 10, God showed him a vision, said, and Peter was very hungry. He was, up, he was up on a house waiting for food to get done. You guys ever been in that situation? You're just waiting for the dinner to be done. You're just really hungry. And God showed him a vision of all animals, you know, alligators and all kinds of animals, and invited Peter to eat, and he would not eat. He said, I never have touched anything unclean in my life. And then at the same time, God is showing the centurion, Cornelius, a vision to go to Peter. Long story short, Peter had an opportunity to interact with him. And he began to speak about how God chooses through Jesus Christ. And as he was speaking about God's choosing through Jesus and what he had done, and how he had died on the cross for them, the Spirit was poured out on those Gentiles. The Spirit was poured out on the nation. And Peter learned through that time that God is the one that chooses. I had nothing to do with him. And Peter says, also, God accepts. Verse 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. If he given the spirit to those of Jewish heritage and the spirit to those of the nations, then clearly it's God who accepts who comes into his kingdom. It's God who accepts those from the nations and different cultures and backgrounds. And it's done by faith as well. Verse 9. Peter says, he has made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And so he gives this warning in verse 10. You know, why do you try to put God to the test? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have able, been able to bear. No one can fulfill the law and the prophets. Why are you guys going around teaching people? That they must live under the law when clearly it is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this in Galatians chapter 2. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sins? Absolutely not. If I reveal what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law. So that I might live for God. And it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter says is, no, we believe it is through grace that we are saved. Just as we are. 
And it's, you know, as I say that, that song may come to your mind. Just as I am. Come just as I am. To the cross. And that's what God does. He invites us to come just as we are. Receiving his grace. Only through the merit of what Christ has accomplished that we come to him. And we see here too within this text that God is indeed glorified. Paul and Barnabas are on fire. You know, they're telling people everywhere about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, after the whole assembly became silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling them about miraculous signs and wonders, about what God had done. And so they began to explain all that they saw. And you notice here, Paul doesn't even tell them about the stoning that he he took when he was in Derby. He was stoned because the Jews came up and they were very jealous that there were more numbers running out to Paul and Barnabas to hear them. And so they were jealous and they decided to take matters into their own hands. They had them stoned and they left Paul outside of the city, left him for dead. And Barnabas went back the next day and guess what they did? They went back into the town and kept preaching the gospel. They told of all that God was doing. And they were glad to do so. What about us? How are we glorifying God in our lives? How are we telling about this gospel priority? How are we prioritizing the gospel by living incarnational love towards one another? How are we doing this? For some of you, it may be in your marriages. You may have laid down your life in many ways, even this morning, so that you can love your spouse. You may have cooked breakfast for them. or You may have not entered into that argument when you knew you were right. You didn't even go there. You prioritize the gospel. Maybe it's in parenting. You know, when your kids push that last button and you feel this rage come up inside of you of wanting to correct them but not wanting to harm them and this tension that's inside. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Gospel priority. Being slow to speak. Quick to love. Maybe it's indeed in the church. You know, giving your life for Christ. I love what Shapri said this morning about how God has called us here to, to give, to do something, where we will receive, really, 100-fold back from God and that eternal life as well. So, so we see here that Peter is landing out, like, look, look, this is what I've known through the experience of the Holy Spirit, through my encounters with Christ, that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and by the scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. That's how God is calling us to live unto him. Not in a way where we are puffing up our chest and, and living in light of him, but in ways where we are seeing the gospel priority, where we're coming and yielding ourselves to him. Because God has spoken his gospel prophecy, if you will, throughout the, the entire uh, text of the Bible. Old Testament and new, God told how he would return and rebuild David's fallen tent. 
It's in ruins, God says. I will rebuild it. I will restore it. God will seek the remnant, and he has. And he says, all the Gentiles who bear my name, they will be a part of the remnant. The nations, those who are in this room. See, it's not an either-or type of thing between uh, Jews and Gentiles. Because as James says here, I, I love this verse in verse 14. You know, I don't think he's talking about the context in which God, you know, plucked Abraham and made him a nation. But that's where I go in my mind. In verse 14, you know, he, he, he's giving credence to what Simon said. He said, Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. That's what he did when he singled his focus on Abraham. Abraham was from Babylon, Ur of the Chaldeans, and God took him. God chose him and made a promise to him. It was nothing about Abraham's life that he would choose him. But because he believed, it's solely through faith that he came to God, came to know him. And so God is doing the same thing through Jesus in Acts. God is saying, hey, I'm on the move. I'm making a people for myself. I'm on the move. The nations, I've had my mind and heart set on them since the beginning of time. Now you see clearly, oh, people who've had the covenants all along, that I, my heart has been towards you and towards them as well. And I tell you, friends, if it wasn't for this, how could we believe if God didn't come if God wasn't on the move to come within our cross-cultural communities so that we can see and experience him in, in new ways. If God wasn't on the move to break us of our sinful pride, to break us of our ponderings, moving away from him. If he wasn't on the move to show us his lovely grace, his warm heart towards us, that he delights in us. If he wasn't on the move in those ways, how could anyone believe? How could anyone come to him? And so this council in Jerusalem is huge. It's huge for the life of the church. It's huge for the gospel moving forward. You know, Paul was convinced. Barnabas was convinced. But those who were of the people of God, the, the Jews needed to be convinced as well. There was only one way. And that way is through Christ. He is the rock that everyone Stands on. He is not like calcium carbonate. You know, you guys know calcium carbonate? You know, I found out about this the other day because I was like, what's in my toothpaste? And that's the first ingredient. You know, and I found out this stuff is, is limestone. But guess what? When you, when you take this limestone and you put it, a block of it, you, you add heat to it, right? And then you just let it sit out. You pour water on it, it just melts away. It's no longer the solid rock anymore. And you know, it's so fitting, right? Because when you have Christ plus something else, it's no longer the gospel of Christ. When you're trying to stand on Christ plus your relationships, it's not going to work. When you're trying to stand on Christ plus your party affiliation, it's not going to work. It has to be Christ and Christ alone. Because Christ has given his life for you and for me, that we may stand upon him, 
that we may be glorified in him, that we will not be lost from him, but that we will continue to come to him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this high and holy calling, something that you can only accomplish by your blood on the cross. Thank you for being so kind to make sinners like us a cross-culture community that we, coming from many different backgrounds, may give you glory and that all who may see may praise you and say there's a God in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen.